Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Perhaps no chapter in all of the Bible provides such wonderful consolation, confidence, and as a result of that, courage to face the difficulties of life. When we read this chapter, it takes us from the gloom of the grave all of the way to the greatness of glory. And it's a bright light in a dark world that we live in, and it reveals that because of the gospel that we are victors rather than victims, that we don't have to live our life in defeat, that we don't have to live our life without purpose, but rather that by laboring in the work of the Lord that we can find that which matters most. Verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. That verse has been dear to my heart for many years, and it, it troubles me a bit that it is quoted so much without really getting any attention. We just tend to take a glance at it rather than gaze upon it and to really consider what all it says. The title of my message is the same as the text of the message, and that's found in the words, the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord. Before I begin, I want to remind you that we should never confuse the work of the Lord with the work of the Lord. Now, really, never confuse the work of the Lord with the work of the Lord. You see, we can use that phrase in regards to what we do for the Lord the work of the Lord, uh, or it can be used in regards to the work of the Lord, that is which, what he does for us, through us, and so forth. Never confuse the two. Sometimes, especially we preachers, make the mistake of not only trying to preach the sermon, but also trying to bless it. That leads to a lot of discouragement. I just read even this morning a one of the pastors of a mega church in Nashville just resigned. In fact, I wrote down uh, his final words in his letter to, of resignation. He simply said, I've been leading on empty, and so I believe that the best thing for me to do is to step down. So I'm officially resigning as the pastor. I'm tired. I'm broken. I just need some rest. Who's not tired, broken, and weary? I don't mean to be unsympathetic toward that man. I don't know all of the details. There might be a whole lot more than, than we know about. I'm certainly not his judge. He's not working for me. But I am telling you that regardless of what we do for the Lord, we're going to have to do in the face of difficulty. It's not easy for anyone to truly do the work of the Lord, to be involved to the extent that he expects us to. 
And whenever we look at this, uh, there are three things related to this that we find in this verse. We see the reason, the reason, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, and that relates to the past and relates to our motives. The reason that we're involved in the work of the Lord, and then there's the responsibility. And that relates to the present and has to do with our mission in life. And then, of course, there is the reward. That speaks about our prospect, what lies ahead, and the merit. That is the value, the reward in what we do for the Lord. So notice the reason. And we begin with this, the first word that usually gets overlooked and ignored, but is very important. This verse begins with the word, therefore. In other words, what he is about to say is the conclusion of what he has already said. Now, while that is particularly true in regards to verse 56 and verse 57, it relates directly to that. But there is another sense in which it it takes us all the way back through this chapter, all the way back to the very beginning of chapter number 15. And whenever we look through this chapter, we see several reasons why we ought to be involved in the work of the Lord. In the first four verses, it's because we've heard and received the gospel. If anyone ever asks you what the gospel is, you need to read these four verses. It describes what the gospel is. And because we've heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, we ought to be involved in the work of the Lord. But then verse 9 and 10, he speaks there about the grace of God. We ought to be involved in the work of the Lord because of the grace of God, which is simply telling us that everything we have is a result of God's grace, that we don't deserve any of it. It's all by the free grace of God that we have what God has given us. Then verse 13 and 14, he speaks about a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today, as the song says. And because we have a risen Savior, we ought to be involved in the work of the Lord. Then we, in verse 19 down through verse number 23... He speaks about the fact that we shall be resurrected, and because of that, we're going to be accountable. We ought to be involved in the work of the Lord because one of these days, we're going to get up out of the grave, and we're going to step on the clouds, and we're going to go to be with the Lord, and there at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account of the deeds done in the flesh. I'm talking about Christians now. I'm talking about those that have already been saved. This has nothing to do with you getting into heaven. It has everything to do with the rewards that you receive as a result of what you've done here on earth. And so when he speaks about the reason why we're involved, it involves all of these different things. But I want you to notice there's something else here. Not only does he speak about the reason as related to what he's already said, but I want you to notice that he also speaks about relationships therefore my beloved brethren he says and i think it's important that we notice that it tells us that we're not in this alone we are members of a family the lord's family members of a family where each and every member has certain responsibilities we are a part of the lord's church that is likened unto a body where 
all of us are different members, and that is that we are to relate to the work of God in different ways. We do different things. We could speak about ourselves as being subjects in a kingdom where each and every one of us has our assignment, our responsibility to carry out. So the point is that this is to be a cooperative effort. The Bible doesn't speak about being a lone ranger Christian just going out and doing your own thing. There have been some preachers that that have done that. In their mind, they don't need the church, so they... You know, they start the Joe Blow Evangelistic Association and off they go and they print up a bunch of materials, start having meetings. It's all about them. They run the whole show. They're not accountable to anyone. They reap all of the financial benefits of the ministry and it's all about them. Let me tell you, the Bible knows nothing about that kind of nonsense. The Bible speaks about a cooperative effort among God's people, and that's why every child of God needs to be a member of the Lord's church, an active member of the Lord's church. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, there are three things here related to the responsibility. And let me remind you, that word responsibility is very repulsive to a lot of people. They don't like being told what to do. Some of the most intolerant people in all of the world are those that keep preaching about our need for tolerance. And by that, they mean that we ought to be tolerant and accept their lifestyle, whether it's scriptural or not, whether it's sinful or not, that we ought to be accepting of that. And they think we ought to accept everything, be tolerant of everything. The strange thing is, the only thing they're intolerant about has to do with our Christian values, you see. They don't like responsibility. There are those, you know, they want to be footloose and fancy free. Nobody telling them what to do. Most teenagers go through a stage about the time that they think they're grown and they're not. I can't wait till I'm, you know, 16. Or I can't wait till I'm 18. Boy, when I get 18, I can run the show. I can do what I want to do, you know. I can get out from under dad's thumb. I can get out of the house. I can do as I please. Well, you know, doing as you please might sound like a good deal, but it carries with it a lot of responsibility. And most people today don't like the word responsibility. Now, that that gives us the reason for the mess that we're in in our nation today. The lack of respect for responsibility. But it's also very telling. I say that because beliefs affect behavior. What you believe affects the way you behave, right? If somebody comes running in here, it's all of our ushers come in from every door screaming to the top of their lungs, fire, fire, you're going to get out of here. Uh, you're, you know, if you believe them, if you really believe them, you're going to get out of here and, and save yourself, right? You're going to respond to that. A lot of people claim to be Bible believers, but all of the evidence is to the contrary. Let me tell you, no one that is truly born again who loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart is going to resent their responsibilities placed upon them by the Lord. 
None of us, listen, none of us are perfect when it comes to fulfilling our responsibility. But the fact of the matter is, whenever you are truly a born-again believer, there's going to be a desire in your heart to do the will of God. Now, the sad thing about it is a lot of folks start out good, but they don't finish. And it's a struggle for all of us to finish and finish well. To come down to the end of life's journey, to reach the end of our life and to be able to look back and to know with all of our heart that I have I've done the best I can to fulfill God's will for my life. That's the reason Paul knew about this difficulty. And he says, be ye, notice, steadfast, first of all. That means stand firm. It means settle, not pacing around, but settled. Boy, we need that today. There's enough wishy-washy people in this world to make up the world's largest religious denomination. I mean, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're blown about by every wind of doctrine. They're neither hot, they're not cold. You just can't depend on them for anything. You have no idea what they're going to do next. And that's why he says, be ye steadfast, be, be settled, quit pacing around, as it were, in your life. But then he uses a stronger word, be steadfast, but then he says, unmovable. That means do not deviate in any way whatsoever. Get settled, stay steady. In other words, stay where you are, do not deviate. The word implies testing and opposition. In other words, it's talking about us staying steady, talking about us being unmovable in the face of difficulties. And we all know that there's always something or someone trying to move us away from where we ought to be. It might be temptation to sin. It might be the trials of life. It might be tribulation. It might be troubles of various kinds. But listen, we are in a spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's going to take effort on your part to be steadfast and unmovable. And we need the attitude of Paul. You'll remember over in Acts chapter number 20 when he is en route to Ephesus and the elders of the church are begging him not to go. Because they know it's been revealed to them by the Lord that persecution and death await him if he goes. And Paul, in speaking about his difficulty, said, None of these things move me. And here's the same fellow writing these words, Be steadfast, unmovable. We've got too many quitters today. Too many people that throw in the towel and give up. And the command is to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word abounding has to do with exceeding. It means to go over and above. It means to do more than what is expected. Look, that's the opposite of what most people do. Most people are, you know, they try to get by with as little as possible not going over the top, not going beyond what people expect, but their devotion is on the decline. 
And it's not a matter of how much can I do for the Lord, but it's that that spirit of doing just enough to get by. We want to remain our dignity and our respectability, so we do something, but uh, really it's just a half-hearted effort of pretending that we're serving God in order that others will not criticize us. We want everything easy. We want everything fast. We want everything as cheap as possible. And consequently, we hold out on God. And when we do that, we shortchange ourselves. It never pays for us to give less than our best to God because that's what He demands. That's what He deserves. And whenever we give Him less than our best, it's a costly proposition because we, as I said, we shortchange ourselves. You want what is best for you? You do the will of God in your life regardless of what it is. Notice, and here's the key thought about this, always abounding, but notice it's in the work of the Lord. Now that has to do with the task that is assigned to us. It has to do with that which is according to His will. That which we do that is for His glory. That which we do through the power of His Holy Spirit. That which we ought to do cheerfully and with all of our heart. That's the work of the Lord, the assignment that He has given to us. And it varies with all of us. I spoke a while ago about this being a cooperative effort. We're members of a family. Every member of the family doesn't have the same responsibility. You don't, you know, send five-year-old junior out to be the breadwinner and have dad stay home and play with toys. I mean, you shouldn't anyway. It's just about that messed up in some families today, but, uh, but it shouldn't be that way. We all have an assignment. We all have a responsibility. And that is the work of the Lord for you. That, that's why, although what we do is according to His will and for His glory, our particular task might vary. Whether those are, that are in the sound room or those that are doing something else, those that are in the nursery, whatever it is that you do, whatever your assignment is, that is the work of the Lord that you need to be involved in. Now notice the reward of this responsibility. He said, Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I said a while ago, a lot of folks start out good, but they fail to finish. And one of the main reasons is discouragement. In fact, that is the most common cause, discouragement. One old preacher of years ago said, You know, it is the most effective tool in the devil's workshop. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, uh, or Bob Jones perhaps, that said, I've never known God to use a discouraged man. Discouragement is dangerous. And let me tell you one of the most common causes of discouragement, and that is the feeling that we get that our labor is in vain. You know, we start out good, we get involved in doing something, and after a while we we decide, what, what's the use? Uh, you know, we feel like uh, this is a waste of time. I can remember shortly after I got saved and I discovered what they had uh, called a visitation program. I didn't know what that was, but, you know, it was on the schedule and I'd just been saved and I wanted to do everything. I said, hey, I want to go on visitation. 
Thursday night visitation back then. Had another visitation Saturday morning, and of course, that was for the bus ministry, and I went on that. But, you know, I thought, boy, this is going to be exciting. I asked the preacher what it was all about, and you go out there and talk to people about the Lord. Oh, man, we're just going to be out there and just win souls right and left. And, boy, the weeks went by, and the weeks turned into months. And these these people would say, oh, yeah, we've been thinking about going to church, and we, we'll probably be there next Sunday, but they never came. And that, that went on and went on and went on until finally you, you get to the point like, what's the use? What am I doing? This is all a waste of time. And a lot of times, a lot of people feel the same way about what they're doing. Those teaching Sunday school are working in Awana, and they get that feeling sometimes that what's the use and we, we get overwhelmed with the feeling that I'm not even really needed. I'm not really important. It really doesn't make any difference. And we feel like such a failure that we just quit. You know, too many times we think about being productive when we need to be thinking about being faithful. We think about seeing the results let me tell you, it's for the Lord to decide the results. Our job is to be faithful. Amen. And if we're going to remain faithful, steadfast, and unmovable in the work of the Lord, we've got to live by faith and not according to our feelings. Yeah. Somebody says, well, I've just never felt like quitting. Well, hang around, you will. It's just a matter of time before something or someone is going to discourage you and you're going to be tempted to throw in the towel and say, I'm through, I, I, I give up, I've, I've had it. You live by your feelings, you're not going to last very long. And we have to live by faith. And I say that because over and over again, God gives us promises related to our responsibilities and our faithfulness. And that if in, he tells us over in Galatians, for example, that we're not to be weary in well-doing. And then he reminds us, for we shall reap in due season, we shall reap if we think not, if we don't give up. Amen. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love and the, and the ministry that you've shown to the saints. And God's not unrighteous to forget about what you've done. God never fails to keep His promise. There is a reward for those that are faithful in service to God. A reward here. You, see, you know, we often talk about the rewards in heaven, and boy, that's going to be great. In fact, Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven. And that's going to be, that's going to be wonderful. But there is a reward here on this earth. I don't know anybody that's not concerned about their needs. In fact, we're really overly concerned about our needs, aren't we? So, well, I need this, I need that, or I want this, or I want that. But the Bible says, Matthew six thirty three, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God's saying, you take care of your responsibility, and I'll take care of your needs. Amen. Remember the old song says, it pays to serve Jesus. We need to sing that sometime, Tim. It pays 
to serve Jesus. It really does. It pays every day. It pays in every way. It pays here on this earth. Somebody says, well, I just don't understand. I love the Lord and I attend church all of the time, you know, and I even sometimes, sometimes I even give a tithe and I do this and I do that. I don't understand why everything keeps going wrong in my life. Well, it just might be that you're not fulfilling your responsibilities to God and and he pulls the rug out from under you because the only way he can get you to look up is for you to be flat of your back. And don't ever think God won't do that. In fact, the Bible says that every son that he receives, they're chastened to the Lord. We don't get by with being unfaithful to God. And there is a reward here and now. But the greatest reward, of course, comes in heaven. I can't even begin to describe what that's going to be like. I can tell you what little I know about what the Bible says about it, but I can tell you one thing. The, 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 the greatest crown, the greatest reward, the most wonderful benefit of us serving God is to hear our Master say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yes, it's not a matter of you trying to please somebody else. It's really not even a matter of you trying to find a sense of satisfaction by being involved in Christian things. It's a a matter of you doing that which is pleasing in God's sight. And he rewards you on the basis of your faithfulness. You know, it just might be that some of you have been deceived by Satan into thinking that because Brother Kenneth and I are pastors, that, that our reward in heaven is going to be greater than yours. That it, Look, if it is, it's your fault. Really. Because I'm telling you right now, God doesn't just reward us because we are pastors. He rewards us whether or not we are faithful. God doesn't expect you to do what we do. God doesn't expect you to be the Awanda commander of the Sunday school superintendent. God doesn't expect you to do what others do. It's being faithful, fulfilling your responsibility, steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in your work of the Lord, in the assignment that God has given to you. And I just really wonder how many could, I mean honestly, truthfully, the pure heart say, yes, indeed, I just know without any doubt that I'm doing my best to be faithful to God. I, I really am. And if you're not, you're not just shortchanging yourself. You're hurting the cause of Christ by giving less than your best. There's a difference in spending your life and investing your life. A lot of us are good spenders, but poor investors. And if we're wise, we're going to invest our life rather than just spend it. Investment is taking what you have and using it in a way that is going to pay dividends. That's what God wants you to do with your life. He wants you to lay up, listen, listen to this. So some people talk about, you know, well, we ought not to, we ought not to be working for rewards, but Jesus didn't look at it that way. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Isn't that wonderful that he cares enough that, you know, to allow you that, 
that privilege, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, the work of the Lord, when we're faithful, is going to result in the rewards from the Lord. And and that that phrase, the work of the Lord, describes what is most important in our life. That's why we need to give it our top priority, our undivided attention and our full devotion. Whenever I think about Moses, and I've often talked about the difficulties he went through, I think about what he gave up. You ever think about that? I mean, he was supposedly the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, Grandpa is the Pharaoh. He's the king of all. And, and he was educated in the best schools. He reaped all of the benefits of being in that position. I mean, he had the world at his fingertips, everything anybody could desire, and yet he gave it all up. Choosing rather the afflictions of God's people. That, that is so amazing to me. Choosing rather the afflictions of God's people. So, rather than remaining where he was in that lofty position, he said, I'm going with God's people because really they're my people. There's that connection. And he made this statement. He said, having respect unto the recompense of reward. Respect unto the recompense. That, that is the payment, the, the result of the reward that we gain as a result of following him. I think about old Moses whenever he's going out through the wilderness, doing his very best to lead those people in their murmuring and their complaining. In fact, they even said, you know, I, I, you just brought us out here to, for us to die. I wish we'd just stayed back in Egypt. I mean, here's a man that gave up everything for them and they're murmuring and complaining. He gets so aggravated on one occasion that he smites the rock, he offends God, and God disallows Moses to enter into the promised land. He said, you're going to die out here in the wilderness with all of the others. You know, all of those that were, you know, that... We're in rebellion. That had been a good time to retire, wouldn't it? I, I think I would have said, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. I, I'd, I'd rather stay out here in the wilderness than to go on trying to lead this bunch of knuckleheads. All they want to do is murmur and complain and make life difficult. Now, here's my point. He spent the next 38 and a half years out there in the wilderness or whatever the exact time was. He spent all of that time in the wilderness leading those people, knowing, knowing that there was not going to be the reward of him entering into the promised land. Now that's faithfulness. Because you see, the difficulty did not relieve him of his responsibility and it doesn't relieve you of yours either. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that we all of a sudden are free to go our way and to do our own thing. Now, let me sum all of this up by saying two things. Number one, I want you to think about the seriousness of this matter. Because, you know, since we're to be, notice, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Isn't that what it says? Because that is so serious, we ought not to be deceived about the work of the Lord. 
And we ought not to ever be distracted from the work of the Lord or deterred from it or doubtful of it or depressed by it or discouraged in it. This is serious. There's nothing more serious than this. That's God's assignment for your life. It's serious. But there's something else we need to notice, and that is the source that enables us. Remember I said in the beginning, for a purpose. Don't ever confuse the work of the Lord with the work of the Lord. You see, the work of the Lord depends on the work of the Lord. In other words, what it is that God wants you to do depends on what God does through you and in you. He, and he's the change agent. He's the one that makes things happen. And we're able to do this only because He enables us. You see, we do the work only in the sense that we are willing instruments. Remember in Romans 6, He referred to us as instruments of righteousness. We're like a tool in the hand of God. That's the only thing that makes us able to do our responsibility. The only reason we can be successful in the work of the Lord is described in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Here's what Paul said. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Man, I grabbed onto that verse many, many years ago, and it's like God opened my eyes. Look, it's God who works in you both to will. He gives you the desire. He puts within you the desire, the will to do it. He makes you willing and He makes you able. So success then is the result of Him working in us. The working of the Lord within us enables us to be faithful to the work of the Lord for us. But the fact of the matter is God cannot work in you until He is within you. And that doesn't happen until you put your trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Till you trust Him as your Savior, you can never, ever even come close to fulfilling your responsibility. There's no way possible for you to live up to the standard of being a what we might call a good Christian. Because it's Christ in you that makes the difference. That's why one of my first favorite verses was Philippians 4.13. But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It is Him in you, working through you, that enables you to be steadfast and unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do do you have any idea what it is that God might have you to do? Some of you do. Some of you got got it figured out, and you're on the right track. You're involved every day. That's the thing most important to you. You say, well, preacher, if I knew what God wanted me to do, 
I'd be willing to do it. Do you really mean that? Let me tell you, discovering the will of God starts with you doing what you know the will of God to be. And some people say, well, if I, if I, if I knew God wanted me to go to Africa as a missionary, I'd do it, but, but they can find 40, 11 different things, commands in the Bible that they're not doing. Why, why should God reveal His will to you about what He wants you to do in the future when you are living in disobedience to Him now? How can you expect God to bless you even if you've made a profession of faith, you've been saved, but you're not willing to follow the Lord in baptism, your first act of obedience? Uh, how can you expect God to bless you? If we want God to use us, it begins with us being willing to do. In fact, Jesus said, if any man will do the Father's will, he shall know the Father's will. If we're willing to do it, we'll know what it is. He works in us what? Both to will and to do His good pleasure. And if you don't know what God wants you to do, you need to be finding out. Because success is discovering the will of God and doing it. Not talking about it, but doing it. And that can't happen until first of all you've received Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, we encourage you this morning before you leave this building to put your faith in him he shed his blood on the cross at calvary he died in your stead his sacrifice the blood that was shed is sufficient to save you forever if you'll trust him would you do that as we stand we're going to sing a hymn of invitation here in just a moment but i want you to search your heart and if you're here in it might be that you know the Lord is your Savior. It might be that you've been involved in serving Him, but something happened or someone hurt you, some difficulty discouraged you, and you're just either on the brink of giving up or, well, you've already thrown in the towel and you're just not quite all gone yet, but you're on your way. Why don't you do something about it that will turn that around this morning? Get on your face before God and say, Dear Lord, I didn't aim to let myself get so far away from you, but I want to get back in fellowship with you this morning. I want to make all of those wrongs right, and I want to invest my life in the work of the Lord. Father, we don't deserve anything this morning, but we come praying that you'll do great things. I pray that you'll save that one that's nearest hell. I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of those that are discouraged, that you'll encourage them and strengthen them. And Lord, may all of us leave here today not only with a greater appreciation for the things that you've done, but a greater determination that we might do the work of the Lord and invest our life in service for you, for we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Now, while